This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the ABZ Football Podcast. It's October and you know what that means. Gary is off on his hollybobs taking a, well he's written a well-earned break in the north of Ireland. I'm not sure if I agree with that or not but nevertheless he's not here this week and so it's down to the A-team. It's my here's myself, your host Gavin J. Baxter and I'm joined by the one and only Graeme Steele. Graeme, how's it going? Good, thanks. Do you agree with Gary's sentiments that it's a well-earned break? I most certainly do not. I'm not going to disagree with you. Yeah, I, I also don't recall him requesting permission. Yeah, I've died. Yeah, this this did not go past the HR desk. I don't remember that happening at all. No, he's a loose cannon. In a week that saw the news confirmed that J. Emmanuel Thomas is on trial at Inverness Cali Thistle. Graham, Duncan Ferguson... And J. Emmanuel Thomas. It's a match made in heaven, if you ask me. Uh, <laughs> opposing work ethics <laughs> is how I'm going to describe that relationship. Opposing levels of intensity is what I'm thinking. Yes. And I'm also. Yes. Although they do say opposites attract. This no is very true. And all that. This is very true. It's got the makings of a, uh, a sitcom, doesn't it? What, Duncan Ferguson and J. Emmanuel Thomas. Yeah, you've got, you know, the sort of disciplinarian. Uh, you can guess which one that is. And then you've got J. Emmanuel Thomas. So, what do you think the local basketball scene is like in Inverness? <laughs> um, and you've got to remember the X factor. Then you'd have Austin Samuels as the next door neighbour. Oh, yeah, of course. J. Emmanuel Thomas feeding Austin Samuels. Goals galore. ICT in the cinch premiership next season. And are you at all afraid that if he gets a contract, that the inevitable is going to happen, that we're going to draw Inverness in the Scottish Cup? he'll get his goal for the season uh, yeah that, that is always the fear but something tells me he won't get a contract I'm, I just can't help but remember when it was snowing like proper snowing and he put that Instagram story or Snapchat of him just like looking outside front facing camera back just saying nah fuck this if that's <laughs> how he was in Aberdeen the Highlands are really not going to agree with Jay no, but watch this space. Watch this space indeed. Well, Jeff, folks, after a washout of a weekend for both the men's team and the women's team, thanks to Storm. How are we pronouncing this? I've been calling it Babbitt. I've been calling it Baby, but I think uh, that might be wrong. I'm sticking with my pronunciation. Storm Babbitt. We'll go with that. Thanks to Storm Babbitt. It's a slightly truncated version of the ABZ football podcast this week as we check in with how our loanies got on in Lone Watch. 
Before we turn our attentions to another huge doubleheader as the Dons welcome PAOK to Pataudry on Thursday night in our third Europa Conference League group stage fixture. And then we travel to Ayrshire to face dead at McInnes' Kilmarnock in the lunchtime kickoff on Sunday. First things first, news from AB24. With it being international break, still fairly quiet down AB24 way. The main thing of note this week was the progression of the Dons into the semi-finals of the illustrious Aberdeenshire Shield after a 5-1 win over Tariff United at Tara last Wednesday. Goals from Babbage, Reed, Emsley, Harvey and Wilson easing a young Dons 11 at the semis where they will face off against your wee team, Graham, Bucky Thistle, in the semi-final to be played on Wednesday the 8th of November. Other than that, little other news other than both the men's and women's fixtures being called off due to the storm. As aforementioned, Graham, the decision was made on Friday, roughly around about three o'clock or so. The right call in your mind? Uh, probably. It's unusual to actually make the decision, you know, that that early. But I think even though maybe it had sort of died down by that time, the pitch would have been a state, the, the conditions would not have helped the football. So I think on balance, although as much as I tend to think things maybe get cancelled a little bit too early, even a little bit too panicky, I'm not really sure you could have played a game in those conditions. It would have been a pretty poor spectacle for anyone that was able to attend. I think ourselves being in the city were maybe shielded from the storm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. And that's what's forming my opinion. Yeah, I think the city was like basically the best place to be all weekend. Um, I mean, even going out as little as seven miles west to to west till you could tell the difference so i think um just to give no one the impression that the game's going ahead and anyone that makes plans whether coming from dundee as dundee fans or people coming from the north people coming from the south um i think it was the correct decision just to make the call nice and early let people know it's not happening and then they can just kind of get on with their weekend um so yeah we'll just we'll wait and see this did of course mean though that um so to pull the curtain back a little bit, we were invited by the good folks at View from the Terrace to participate in a feature on their show on Friday uh, evening called The Narrative, where we were discussing the, how the narrative demands that moving the fixture to 6pm on Saturday would not help us get the result against Dundee. A callback, obviously, to when we played Dundee under Stephen Glass and got battered 2-1 in a game that, frankly, I think not many could disagree could have been the very end of, of Stephen Glass's time. In typical ABZFP fashion, we recorded that segment, I think, on Thursday. It, obviously, you know, the show then gets edited all together, completed, and at three o'clock, that's when the announcement comes on. And that's obviously too late for the editors and whatnot to fix that segment. So then on Friday evening, that went ahead. It's the most ABZFP thing that, yeah, breaking news hampers our contributions to Scottish football. Yes, I'm pretty sure someone just monitors this. And so they've said that. Let's do an announcement to the contrary. Just waiting for it. Yes. But yeah, good good fun to be involved. It's a great show and hopefully we'll be something to do something a little bit more contemporaneous and topical next time we get the chance, if they'll have us back, of course. The Quines, their game was cancelled, so it's a week off for them. Their next trip is to Motherwell in SWPL1 on Sunday, the 5th of November. On to Lone Watch, Kieran Nguyenia started and lasted the full 90 minutes, but I'll bet he wished he didn't. 
At right back, as Thistle were thumped 5-0 at Firhill by Dundee United. Centre-back Kevin Holt scoring a hat-trick and none of them were penalties. Ouch. Not a good time to be a jag of the Glasgow variety. Evan Tyler, Montrose. Montrose's game at Cove fell victim to the weather. This will become a theme throughout Lone Watch. Spoiler alert. Alfie Babbage, Kelty Hearts, started, played the full 90 minutes as Kelty were beating 3-1 at Alloa in League One. Aaron Reid, well, let's just wrap this all up in one neat little summary. Aaron Reid, Liam Harvey, Blair McKenzie, Dylan Lobin, Adam Emsley, Finlay Murray, Kevin and Ratty, all of their teams fell victim to the weather. So no time on the pitch for any of those boys. Jaden Richardson, not so much the weather, maybe just Jaden Richardson. An unused sub, a Stockport beat Grimsby Town by three goals to two in League Two down south in a clash of the Giants. And finally, Anthony Stewart, no place again in the MK Dons squad as they were beaten 1-0 by Accrington Stanley in League Two. Graham, the formalities are finished. Let's move on to Thursday night. Yes, the big one. PAOK. I'm assuming that's what they've got to call them the entire time. There's no like, they don't actually have like a name, do they? I genuinely don't know, and I would bet you probably couldn't pronounce it if they do. P-A-O-K. The Greek mob. Thursday night sees us host Greek opposition at Petology for the first time in our history. We did face off with Panathinaikos in the UEFA Cup in 2007, but that was away from home. P-A-O-K, as conquerors of hearts in the Conference League playoff round, make their second trip to Scotland this season, looking to build on their fine start to Group G, where they currently sit top of the pile with two wins from two. 6-1 aggregate winners over the jam was back in August. A 2-1 win at Tynecastle, followed up by a 4-0 win in Greece. That said, Hearts did have them rocking a bit during that first leg, which I'm sure is what Barry Robson will be looking at strongly. As we said, two wins from two in Group G so far. They opened up with a 3-2 win in Helsinki over HJK, before backing that with a fine 2-1 win over Eintracht in... I'm going to need you to help to pitch in with some pronunciations here. Thessaloniki? Thessaloniki? Greece. Thessaloniki, Greece. They come into this game on a really good run of form. Only one defeat all season in all competitions so far. That coming to OFI Crete back in early September. Unbeaten in their last seven, which includes a 2-0 win over Atromitos on Sunday afternoon. Currently sitting second in the Greek Super League, just two points behind Olympiakos. Vastly experienced coach Razvan Luchescu in charge for his second spell at PAOK. They finished last season fourth in the Greek Super League after one of five consecutive seasons where they finished in the top two champions back in 2018-19. Runners-up in the Greek Cup last season as well, beaten by AAK Athens in the final. 15 goals in the league so far in just eight games, only conceding five in that time as well. Of those 15, 12 from open play, two from set pieces, and one own goal making up the balance. Top scorer domestically is Andrea Zivkovic with four goals in seven games. The Serbian winger also has four goals in Europe so far, including the opener against Frankfurt and the winner against Hearts at Tynecastle. Zivkovic, the real star man of this PAOK side, capped 40 times for Serbia, joining the Greeks from Benfica on a free transfer back in 2020. Playmaker Giannis Constantelius, another one to watch. Two goals domestically for the 20-year-olds so far. Generally, Luchescu appears to be favouring a 4-2-3-1 system this season. Usually a threesome of Zivkovic, Constantelius, and Brazilian veteran Tyson sitting in behind the number nine. 
This will either be Spaniard, Brandon, the Spanish clan, the Brandons. Or he may go with Tanzanian striker Mbwana Samata, who has started the last two. Look out as well for potential change in the three behind the striker. Austrian Thomas Merg has also come in and out of the side so far this season in the number 10 role. And this is also overlooking Bulgarian international Kirill Despidov, who joined the Greek outfit this season from Ludogrets in a deal thought to be around 4 million euros. He has extensive experience across Europe with spells in Austria and Italy. Despidov scored in Helsinki, but has struggled apart from that to break into the team so far this season. In the Conference League, a little bit of statistics for you. PAOK ranked second so far in goals per match. Average 2.5 against an XG of 2.7 so far. So they are really outdoing themselves in that metric. Also second in the entire tournament for shots on target per match at 6.0 on average. Defensively, solid enough. Domestically, particularly at home, only one conceded in their five so far. A strong European pedigree as well in recent seasons. They have been in the group stages of a European competition at least every season pretty much since 2020, uh, made it all the way to the quarterfinals, the Conference League in 21-22, where they went out on away goals to Marseille, although they did miss out last season, beaten by Levski Sofia in the qualifying round two for the Conference League. So again, a big task awaits on Thursday night for Aberdeen. Um, when the draw was made, most people looked at the name Frankfurt and thought that to be, you know, the big fish, the favourites for the group. But PAOK's win over them in Greece probably now would see them as the most likely to go on and win the group. I think that's fair. Uh, I think Eintracht, at the time the group draw was made, were the the best team based on their coefficient. So it's kind of natural that people were looking at that and thinking, well, they're probably going to win the group. But uh, I think you're right. Um, Pauk have been better than I probably expected. And... Uh, yeah, they may be our favourites now, having beaten Frankfurt, um, albeit in Greece, but might get to the point where they don't need to beat them over there to wrap up the group. So probably not who we thought might be topping the table, but I think well, when the draw was made, we all kind of thought those those are the two stronger teams. I think we all thought Helsinki are more comparable uh, to us in terms of their, their level. Yeah, I mean, not to talk down our chances or anything like that, but obviously they'll be looking at this as a double header with Aberdeen. If they win these two games, that'll be 12 points. They're almost, I would assume, guaranteed to qualify into the next uh, phase. So there's absolutely no danger they're going to take it light over here, is there? No, definitely not. I, I think, yeah, just like that, I think they'll look at this and say that's two games that they can win. And I think you're right if they come out with that, with the 12 points, that's that's probably going to be enough for them. Of course, Graham, like I mentioned, we saw PAOK against Hearts in the qualifying rounds. Now, apparently Gary wasn't overly impressed with the Greeks at Tyne Castle, but you could see that they had a little bit of quality about them. I mean, I think against Hearts at Tyne Castle, they maybe probably weren't getting out of third gear, to be honest with you. Um, you can make all the jokes you want about Hearts and how they've played this season. Um, but they are a team that are, you know, can be compatible with ourselves. You saw the little bit of quality that POK had, and you know that comes to fruition with the goal that Zivkovic sticks away to win them the game. Yeah, I suppose it's not directly comparable. You know, you think that was earlier on in the season, whether they assembled their squad and everyone's getting to know each other, etc., etc. So there may be a little bit better now, but I think 
whether they were impressive or not against them, they they got the job done, uh, and they did beat you know Frankfurt, albeit in Greece. So it's there's not really much you can say other than it's going to be really really difficult to get anything off them on Thursday. Is is how I'm seeing it. Um, you know, once if Tancastle gets going, it can create a decent atmosphere. But these you know these guys have been in Europe more seasons than not um, in the relatively recent past. So I don't really think that'll phase them. They've got, like I said, they've got some, not only some good players in there, but plenty of experienced players, both internationally and domestically. So I'm not really sure, even if it's a full house on Thursday and we get, you know, we we can really get a good atmosphere that that'll actually really put them off their stride. Yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be some spicy atmospheres in Greece on, uh, on certain away days as well. So yeah, like I said, they're not going to be, intimidated per se by by the atmosphere uh, at Pataudry or Tynecastle for that matter and that was shown and then of course they go and then absolutely batter hearts complete the job in Greece it did kind of illustrate the gulf in the quality so like you say I'm under no illusion this is going to be a really big task the other thing that of course sticks out from the hearts game in particular is that the attacking players for POK they seem to have plenty of pace about them and they get themselves into good positions between players so you know, we need to be worried about that. I'm thinking specifically about Hecken with the boy Sadiq or against Hibbs with the boy Eliyuan. Players like that, when they get running our defenders, it has caused us a lot of problems. And that'll be, you know, regardless of whether we go with a back three or a back five. Yeah, I think that's fair. We don't have... Defence isn't slow as such, but I think when you, you single out those examples, guys who are really, really quick, uh, especially in the case with Sadiq, who was both quick and skillful. I mean, that's, that's difficult to defend against full stop, but yeah, I do think we are exposed uh, from that point of view because I, I do think we lack a little bit of that, just that extra yard of pace that you you need for the, the top players. So I know you're not necessarily facing the week in, week out in the league and the defence has definitely improved, but that would cause me concern. And especially if, probably if any one of them gets isolated, you know, if we get mm-hmm. caught in the break, for example, then I think we're in we're in big trouble. I think the defense has been much better recently. So if they're when they're attacking us, it looks like we'll have the right people in the right positions. We've got a couple of guys that are quite good at reading and covering. But it's that um it's almost that sort of counter-attack sucker punch that I think we're definitely supposed to. But I don't don't really see how you the only way you nullify that is to just not attack. And clearly <laughs> that's you know that that's that is an option that I hope we are not looking at because if we're going to do anything at this group, we need to get something out of the game. So if we are setting up to just try and absorb it and be stuffy, I don't think that's going to. I don't think that's going to go for us. We'll come on to the. Uh, let's just use the word philosophy in a moment <laughs> or two. I mean, Graham, you're absolutely right. I mean, given that a courageous loss in Frankfurt, a good performance, more than I think any number of us expected. Yep. A missed option. I think I would probably class uh, HJK Helsinki at Pataudry. Definitely agree with that. That's a game that we we really had to be winning, and I felt I felt we could have done. I didn't think they were that great, to be honest. So that's definitely dropped points, and I, I just don't think we can really. You probably if you you look to the the group, you think Frankfurt. Are you going to get anything off them? Maybe not. Probably thought we would have got something off Pauken. We might still do. We haven't played them yet. But the Helsinki was the ones that if you could get a home and away against them, get six points, might not be enough, but you're not going to be a laughing stock. And if you could pick up a point or two elsewhere, you never know, you're in the mix. Um, so we've we've kind of dropped our only or our best opportunity 
against Helsinki. I think it's absolutely critical that we get something out of this game. Yeah, I mean, Frankfurt are at home to HGK on Thursday uh, when we're playing against the Greeks. You would assume that Frankfurt are going to take three points from there. That would leave them on yep. six points. Yep. And then we'd be talking, if we could get the victory, four points, then suddenly, you know, it's all open. At least there's still something to play for. So Definitely. yeah, of course, it's it's massive that we that we take the three points um, against the Greek outfit. Let's talk about our approach then. Do you think that Robson, obviously with HJK Helsinki, we decided to go with the kind of 5-3-2, 3-5-2 uh, approach with the two strikers. Um, I guess you would kind of class that as our attacking approach, even though it's not that attacking. Um, but we've had a level of success in Frankfurt, as mentioned. And then we, of course, we talk about that most recent victory at Ibrox where we set up in almost like a 5-4-1 kind of setup with four central midfielders, um, Jim McGrath and Dante Polvara providing the quote-unquote width and then leaving Miofsky up front uh, on his own. Obviously with the plan of then getting players forward to support him when we are in possession of the ball. Do you envision Robson going with the two strikers, Miofsky and Duke, as we have at home? Or do you think he might change things up given that the quality that we're talking of with with PAOK and given that you know we've generally we've, we've played our best football probably the season playing that kind of five for one approach I'm really not sure I always think I feel like having two attacking players so and it's been Dukomiowski clearly gives you a better chance of scoring goals because you've got goal scorers on the pitch but where I'm struggling is Duke's form's been definitely below what is expected and required. So I think Miofsky is obviously going to play because he's been, I know he's missing pretty big chances this season, but he has been scoring goals and he's been playing really rather well. But I don't know what you do if you don't have Duke. I'm not sure what you do. Sokler seems very, very similar to Miofsky. Yeah. So I don't know if they end up tripping over each other or you don't get the same effect because what seemed to have worked was types of balls or passes that maybe don't work for Miofsky were working for Duke and vice versa. And I'm not seeing enough of Gay to really form an opinion, but it's obviously quite a big game for him to come in if Robson decides, right, you're the man. Because he's only, like to me, he's the obvious option if Duke's not working, just from the point of view of, I think his attributes are different to Miofsky, so you don't end up with two players of the same type. I feel like you want... You want them to be different because it gives the defence something to think about and you can mix it up a little bit. If you've got two guys the same, if they can figure out how to nullify one, then obviously that's both of your strikers kind of out of the game. So I'm not, I'm not I really, really like Duke. And half of me is thinking, you know, give him another shot. He's had, I guess we didn't play the weekend, so Evan should be rested. He's had a bit of time off the international piece as well. So maybe it's a bit of a, a reset and, and everyone's ready to go. But I feel like he's been maybe been we've been carrying him a little bit, and I just don't think we can afford. Just don't think we can afford to go into a game of that magnitude and against a team that's pretty good, with not everybody pulling their weight. So I'm I'm not actually too sure what I would do. But the concern would be if you just go for Miofsky, it'll just be long ball nonsense, and then there's no point in having him on. Yeah, I I do wonder if he would. I don't think Robson is swayed by fan opinion on what he in the way that he conducts himself as a manager so and, and to be fair probably nor should he be because 
like even between the three of us it flips week on week yeah absolutely so i think that's fair he'll do what he needs or wants to do but he must be aware of maybe what people expect and want yeah it's one of those like are people going to accept us lining up five four one Miofsky is the first it's like you know the first line of defense and we're going to very much accept that uh POK are going to have the ball and we're going to just try and break on them and yeah we've had some success doing that uh undeniably but I do wonder if he looks at it and thinks we're going to need the crowd on side uh all all night do you be bold you know Duke he was with the Cape Verde uh national team in this international break I've just looked he's not scored for them um, I don't know if he's played much. Um, can't look that deeply into it, but um, it was a weird one. I remember talking to Gary about this after, off the back of the. Um, oh God, who did we play last before the international break? St. Johnston. Johnston. Yeah, I remember saying that if if we were playing like the next weekend, I would drop Duke because his form has just not been good enough. And like, I'm kind of at the end of my rope with him as far as his theatrics. And then there's just. It seems like he's forgotten that football is a team sport and that he can pass to teammates. He just feels like he wants to do everything by himself, even if that means he's picking the ball up 20 yards out from his own goal and I'm going to have to beat everyone. Um, and yeah, there's just not... When the ball is landing to him, it's just not ending up in the back of the net. So I would said that I would have probably dropped him. I think I'm in the same mindset as yourself as far as Sokler and Miofsky are probably a little too similar to be an effective partnership. So... You know, for me, I think I'd be okay with going for that 5-4-1 setup, provided that there is intensity in our pressing and then we can get forward and support Miofsky, you know, in a way that's going to utilize his talents. If it is just going to be a case of, you know, back five, back four, park the bus, and whenever we get the ball, get it long, then it's going to be a very, very long night. If you're a Bayer Robson, how are you setting up? It's a really tough because it's the age old you know, you, you turn up and you're like, oh, I don't like the looks of that. But obviously you don't know if it's good, bad or indifferent until the final whistle goes. And if you get the result, I, I know people might be like, well, that's not the way I want to see his play. And I totally understand all that. But if you get the result, and to me the result is the, is the win, then it's kind of academic how you go about doing it. We need, we need a win if we've got any chance of getting out of the group. So you have to go with what you think gives you the best chance. But I just don't really see how in a game that you need to win at home, I don't see why you would set up to be boring and stuffy. And the long ball stuff just doesn't work for us. Yeah. We don't have, yeah. like I said before, I don't care if we decide that's the way we want to play. That's absolutely fine. But you need to be, you need to have the tools to do the job. And we've got players that are not suited to that, in my opinion. So that would make me think, just me off on his own, if we're just going to try and soak up the pressure and get rid. I just don't see how that works because all, although he will cover the ground and he'll make runs after about an hour, 70 minutes, that'll be that. And then what do you do? Sockler on to do the yeah. same? Um, I just don't really think that's what I want to be seeing, to be perfectly honest. So whether that means Duke has to come back in, because if it can work and we can find a bit of form for him, then he's definitely got enough to, to cause problems. Agreed, agreed. One other query as far as selection because I think the rest of the team will probably take care of itself I think it'll be the back three we'd expect Devlin um, I would expect I do wonder I think he might go with Johnny Hayes just because of the occasion and the experience that he has I'm not necessarily sure that that's the the best decision but I think that's what he will go with 
I think it's what he'll go with, but it's not the right answer, in my humble opinion. You'll have Shinny, you'll have um, any one of the combination of McGrath, Pulvara, uh, Clarkson and Barron, and then we'll see what happens um, up front. For you, if you're the manager again, it's Connor Barron coming to the team, and if he does, who's he replacing? Again, that's a difficult one because he's been good, and obviously that's a great option, but I don't know if... I think in a game you need to win, I probably would rather have... So again, it depends. I would rather have Clarkson on if he's actually got guys ahead of him to try and find. Mm-hmm. So if it's only Mijowski and we're basically just trying to pack the midfield and get rid, maybe Barron's a little bit more industrious, so maybe you'd want him in there. But if I take the view that we're going to try and actually play some football, I think I would probably rather have Clarkson in. And then in some sort of ideal scenario, you're ahead and you can take Barron on to try and um, <laughs> shut up shop a little bit. So there's not really that, I, it's not that I don't think Barron's good. He's been, he has been good. I just think back to Clarkson last season and some of the stuff yeah. he can do. And in a game that we need to win, I feel that's a little bit more attack-minded than maybe Connor Barron. It's that thing, isn't it? That it's a game where we could be talking about a set piece, a corner, or a long-range yeah. effort. And Leighton Clarkson's the one player in our team that's got that in his locker. So... That's how the, I feel. I should say, like, if it's if it's bad and I'm not turning up thinking this is totally negative and he's garbage, it's not like that. I mean, it's a really good situation to be in, but my preference would be to see Clarkson. All right, like, then let's get through some of the most Gary questions that we're going to have tonight. With us having the game off on Saturday now, Barry Robson has been bemoaning uh, for the duration of this season that we've had not had enough time on the training ground on account of the fact we've been playing so many matches. I don't know how much effective training we've been able to get done with uh, Storm Babbitt, but will this extra time that we've had, as far as I'm aware, all the players that were away on international, you have come back unscathed. So not like we've suffered any injuries. Maybe have a nice little rest because of course we've played so much games and it will have been a little bit more time on the training ground to become more familiar with uh, perhaps a playing style and themselves. Would you agree that this could in fact be beneficial to Aberdeen, this, uh, this rescheduled fixture with Dundee? I suppose so. Um, before I, So one gripe is, I, I understand it adds to the money, but a brand new training facility with no indoor facility seems somewhat back to front, in my opinion. It does seem... It, yeah, it, it's an oversight. <laughs> it is an oversight. We'll leave it at that. Um, you've got to assume that having the extra time is beneficial... It's just whether he had something in mind, you know, out with the sort of systems we played to date that he wanted to implement. So you've obviously lost a bit of time to try and work on that. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm sure the extra time is beneficial, but I'm not really sure that's going to be the difference between can you compete with Pauk or not. You know, I understand they've played, but it's, it's not like they're going to be turning up, breathing out their arses after five, ten minutes, it's relatively early on in the season, I assume they have a decent-sized squad. I'm working on the assumption that they've probably got a bigger budget than we do, so they've probably got better quality in and around the the bench and they can mix up. So I'm not really sure it's going to... I don't think it'll make any real differences, and it doesn't... I don't feel like like it levels the playing field, for example. I think it's fair to say, if they've got a player with 40 caps for Serbia as a star player, and they've got a striker who's... Come in for roughly four million euros, who's effectively second strength at the moment. I think it's fair to say that Pauk probably do have 
a slightly bigger budget than yeah. than Aberdeen. Although so, we did find 500k to spend on Habib Gay, so we did, we did. Do you think this could actually, in fact, hinder us? Could this rest time leave us a little bit undercooked? Is it a good time for Pauk to play Aberdeen? That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> I love one week it's we're too tired and then it's, no, we're not tired enough. <laughs> I don't know what the sweet spot is for uh, optimum peak physical uh, energy levels. I If it leaves us undercooked, then something's going wrong. These guys know each other. Do you know what I mean? It's... It's coming towards the end of October. If missing a game and a couple of training sessions means we don't know what we're doing, I think there are bigger problems. Uh, you might be onto something there. Okay, Graham. Like I think you've said what you want us, what you want from us. It's just a cogent approach that leads to us taking the three points, uh, which of course is what we all want. I'm going to just put you on the spot one more time. The lineup. What are you going with? Well, Roos in the six. Fair. I would have McKenzie because I think Johnny Hayes' best days are past him. Although it's kind of painful to say that. Uh, I guess you'd have uh, you have Rubicic, Jensen, and Cartman. Suppose in Devlin that would be your defense. Your back five, your back six. There. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Kel Roos have, by the way, happened to spend. Well, he, the Kel Roos family. I think his in-laws or parents might have been over for the weekend. Well, they picked a lovely weekend for it. They did indeed. I can. Only, I'm only saying that because there was an elderly gentleman with them who was like, a bit portly, but also the same size as Kel. Okay. So um, I think I think they uh, yeah either the Hanson or Roos family were were over um, as they took in. And a surprise Saturday off in Costco. That's where everyone goes. Absolutely. Spot all the celebrities. Well, I did see our former captain, League Cup winning captain. Ah. Another another brand of supermarket a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, that's what happens once you finish football. It's mundane, shitty Sunday chores for us all. Good lad. Good lad. He's also a frequent shopper at Costco, I'll point out. Uh, so that's my defence. I guess you're going to have Shinny in there. I wanted Clarkson. Uh, I guess just to annoy you, McGrath has to go in. Well, he is fresh off the back of a man of the match performance of the Republic of Ireland, so <laughs> who am I to argue? <laughs> um, and then Miofsky and... Uh, I feel like this will come back and bite me, but I'll give Duke another run. So, yeah, basically the... It's kind of three five two five three two lineup we've gone with for bulk of this season, really. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, I do wonder. I've got a feeling he's going to go five four one. I think he's going to leave Duke on the bench and go with him as maybe an impact sub later in the game. But um, I can, I can see the logic to that. It's just my, I guess it's not like we haven't just shelled it when they've, you know, when Duke and Miofsky have been on the pitch. So I suppose it's not like. Uh, Duke on the bench means we'll just be going long ball. We might just do that anyway. But I just feel like my concern is that Miofsky will be totally isolated. Yeah. Well, that's the concern, yeah. Again, it has to be done with the exact same approach as we had on Frankfurt, where there's a moment where the ball goes into a specific player or a specific zone in our half that it triggers a press and everyone moves as a unit. And then if we can win the ball, we we move forward in numbers at, at pace to support Miofsky. If we do, you know, just for example, what we did under Goodwin against Celtic, then, you know, it's going to be a long night and chances are, even if it's just 1-0, 
Pauk will have that little moment of quality to take the result. And it's crucial that we take three points. We want to have any chance at all of you know performing a minor miracle and getting out of this group. There's also the financial benefits of the additional points as well, which you know not to be sniffed at there. You know, make quite a big difference to what we can take in throughout the campaign. So ignoring sort of sporting reasons, uh, the money would come in handy as well. This is very, very true. Ben, we, we all know what you want to see from us. It's three points. It certainly is. So with all that being said, what is your prediction for Thursday night at the home of football? Aberdeen versus PAOK. I'm going with the heart here. I'm going to say a slightly nerve-wracking 2-1. We will somehow be controlling the game and then we will concede with about 10 minutes to go and it will be really, really nerve-wracking. And then because of all the stupid added on time, there'll be like eight minutes <laughs> extra time <laughs> and it will just be backs to the wall, shell it, get rid, foul, but uh, 2-1. 2-1 Aberdeen, you know what? Ah, I'm going to go with the exact same prediction. Uh, a 1-0 we'll take a 1-0 lead through Boyan Miofsky we'll concede a penalty somehow Kel Rousseff just infuriate me again with his penalty stopping efforts and then a winning goal from an unlikely source uh, perhaps even maybe who knows maybe even Richard Jensen will get one <laughs> and we'll all have a, a, a gen, another generation will have their European night to remember well I really hope so and then what a real shot in the arm for the for the campaign white then once we're done with your Europa Conference League duty we're back to the bread and butter we come crashing back to Earth of the Bang thanks to the wonders of the fixture computer seeing us make the long trip to East, East Ayrshire to take on Derek McInnes's Kilmarnock side on of course Sunday lunchtime Killy coming into this one fresh from a 3-1 win over Livingston on Saturday afternoon Killy's first win in any competition since late August where they dispatched Celtic from the League Cup. And that was their first league win since the opening day of the season. At home in the league so far, it's played five, won two, drawn two, and lost one. Goals for seven, goals against five. The Dons, in recent times, with a fantastic record at Rugby Park. Our 2-1 defeat there in December last year was our first defeat in the league since December 2011. The infamous game where Graham stuck £50 a minimum, I believe, only to see Jason Brown making his Aberdeen debut for the Dons, waddling out of his goal to sell the jersey within the opening five minutes. Do you recall that exact moment, Gnev? I do. That day was a total shambles. Do you remember the build-up to that game? Remember that pub we found? Yeah, every pub that has Sky Sports on the outside didn't have Sky Sports. And then any time you wanted a pint, it was like, oh, they're off. Brilliant. Absolutely. We should have just gone home at that point. Shambles of a day. Well, that was the thing, because none of them had the universal pint glass over the tap to let you know that's Exactly, off. exactly. What a mess. I think the barmaid's exact words were, oh yeah, just ignore the Sky Sports sign. <laughs> yes, it's just to entice people in for uh, beer that we don't actually sell. Brilliant. Yeah, and then, oh, God, I can't even, I think it was James Dayton, I think, scored, and I think Gary Harkins might have scored the decisive yeah, second you goal. might be right. Just um, a mess all round. Yeah, not... Uh, not not favourable memories for the long-suffering Aberdeen fan. <laughs> um, and it, that was one of those things that up until that point, I've never considered Rugby Park a uh, happy hunting ground for Aberdeen. It really was under Derek McInnes, where we just constantly would go down and, you know, whether it was a smash and grab or we're just going and beat them very convincingly, uh, Rugby Park became 
very favourable for us. It was a, a fixture you almost looked forward to, um, not necessarily for the the journey, but just for the knowledge that you're probably going to come away with three points. And indeed, talking of McInnes, still firmly ensconced in the Killy managerial chair, signed a contract extension last year, brought in a number of coaching staff, so he's clearly uh, setting himself up by the sounds of things for the for the long run. Of course, though, in the saying that, there was the surprise that Tony Dockery uh, left his side after all this time to go and take on the job at Dundee. So yeah, different different times, I guess, in that in that sense. After guiding them back to the top flight, McInnes ensured that Killy would retain their premiership status last season. They finished 10th, six points clear of Ross County in the playoff spot. Fair to say, now I think this might be Gary talking here, uh, more than the Kilmarnock fans, but that could just be speculation on my part. A level of discontent amongst the rugby park faithful about the style of play, and there's been a marked turnover of personnel, including, as I mentioned, the long-term assistant to Deke, Tony Doherty, heading out on his own to take over the hot seat at Dundee. Nine players out in total, 11 players coming in, including two in the most predictable of transfers that one could have suggested, as Matty Kennedy and Marley Watkins made the journey to Ayrshire at the conclusion of their Aberdeen contracts. Indeed, Watkins and Kyle Vassell, who's striking up a decent partnership at the top end of the park at McInnes, appears to have settled on a variation of either a 3-5-2 or a 3-1-4-2 thus far. 11 goals in the league from an expected goals of 11.6 means they are just about where you'd expect them to be. Six goals from open play, four from set pieces, and one penalty. Those 11 goals mean they're averaging 1.2 goals per game. That's the midway point in the league on that metric. Cody Ndaba, wing back on loan from Ipswich, appears to be a bit of a find, although defensively, Killy perhaps are there to be got at. They've conceded 12. Only Hibbs and Livy have conceded more so far this season, and that's against an expected goals against of 11.6. So it's not as though Will Dennis in the sticks on loan from Bournemouth is necessarily pulling up trees. All I'm going to say is you've let Ash Taylor go, your defence is going to go to shit. Interestingly, from me, Derek McInnes' perspective, Kelly have conceded four goals from set plays. That's the joint highest tally in the table so far. Perhaps something that we could look to exploit. Stylistically, and this would come as a massive shock, very, very similar to Aberdeen this season. Barely a five paper between us in terms of our passes per sequence data. 2.22 for Aberdeen. 2.20 for Killy and our direct speed data 1.65 meters per second for Aberdeen versus you guessed it 1.65 meters per second for Killy. You would almost think that Bad Robson has spent some time under the learning tree of Derek McInnes. Killy did seem to want to go quite direct against Livy. Um, I think I saw even Davy Martindale moaning about how direct Killy were, which is an irony in and of itself. Territorially, they're happy to give up the pitch to the opposition, but are looking to target the wide areas, which many teams have done to, with great success against Aberdeen, to be fair. Uh, not particularly highly pressing their PPDA passes per defensive action, of course, of 14.0 is the joint least pressing alongside St. Johnston. So, yeah, I mean, since Kelly have been back at the top flight, we've seen plenty of teams struggle at Rugby Park. Probably fair to say they stayed in the division last year off the back of their home form, uh, primarily. And this season, you know, already they've they've beaten Rangers, they've beaten Celtic, um, Hibbs and St. Mirren have drawn at, at Rugby Park. Ross County, interestingly, the only team to have beaten them so far this season. 
as we touched on historically, we've done well there. But last season, put that to bed. Once again, this will be a tough one on, I mean, Gary's blaming the poor artificial service. I don't think I can blame that for our defeat last season. No, uh, I don't even think even the most ardent, biased, blinkered fan could say that it was down to the pitch. No, from what I remember, it was um, what a long throw-in where we just decided not to mark the centre-back for his headed goal. And Christ, I can't even remember the second goal now. I'm sure. Did we get one late? Matty Kennedy, Kennedy scored an yeah. absolute That's, screamer with a Yeah, figure. but that is the game I'm thinking of. We were just so woeful. Like, yeah. just, yeah, basics. You know, so someone's someone's put the ball past me. Oh, maybe I should have tracked that guy who's scoring. It was just, yeah, that was uh, one of the worst performances I've seen from a quote-unquote professional outfit. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was after the World Cup break and it was a evening kickoff. I remember paying Kilmarnock. I remember... Or it was on, it was on TV or something. It was on TV. Because um, I remember we were, if the three of us weren't watching it, at least you and I were yes. watching it independently and obviously communicating during the course of the game. Um, there were not many positives. Yeah, one of those games changed. where it's, um, I think it's fair to say that it was felt like the the end was coming for yeah. for James Michael Goodwin. That was a yeah particularly yes. difficult watch. I think that's very close to the week that ultimately cost him his job, as we all we were just know. yeah, we were just so poor, which considering our record previously, it's not really what you would have expected. As I mentioned, Marley Watkins and Matty Kennedy are now with Kilmarnock, um, very much featuring as first team players. You'd imagine looking to get one over their old employers, perhaps maybe thinking they've been worth a shout. I don't know where Matty Kennedy would have played, obviously since we don't play wingers. Um and where and Marley Watkins the ball. Well, that's worse oh, for most of fam- our wingers, fam- actually. Famous, famous last words from Graham Steele there. I neither endorse that uh, statement nor product. Based on the data sets, though, it's unlikely there's <laughs> going to be a, a classic uh, that football aficionados are going to be looking back on with fond memories. Again, I think I would just say, given the state of our league form and we'll coming off the back of a, a difficult night in Europe, it's just going to be all about getting that three points, whatever way it comes. Totally agree. As you look at their yeah, their home record last season, I think you're right, is is probably what kept them afloat this season. Obviously they've beaten some well, they've beaten the, the two best teams at home. So I don't think there'll be many teams that will be uh be able to say that to come the end of the season. Not expecting the game to be particularly pretty, but we need to find a way uh, of getting the three points. Just looking at the table there. Fifth, having played nine with 10 points, and we are eighth, having played eight games on nine. So, if we could get the win, go a couple of points ahead, game in hand, you know, 12 points just starts to close things up a little bit um, on the competition. So, it's really, really important that we that we find a way to get the three points. And I think, like you said, you know, they're they don't have a huge attacking threat. I know they scored three at the weekend, but I don't think in general. It's not like they're scoring for fun and they can't be got at. So they are conceding, surprisingly, probably from the set-piece angle. That's not necessarily what I would have associated with McKinney's team. Um, but the point being, they are conceding goals and we do have good good attacking players. So I really hope we can find a way to get the job done. My concern is that we go down there, it's away from home and it just becomes a long ball war of attrition. And whilst... I think we've got better players. That doesn't always work in that sort of style. 
it's one of these it's, it's so cliche like i said we've got this um difficult game at home on on the thursday and then you know rugby park sunday lunchtime is probably not your ideal location for the next game but it's it's cliche because it's true these are the kind of games that if we want to be competing in and around you know the third place kind of area we need to be going and taking points from from Kilmarnock it's going to be difficult because you know McInnes is a manager that knows how to set up a team we know that from vast experience of watching him uh, at Aberdeen and then what he's done at Kilmarnock so it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination do you think it's likely that Robson will approach this game any differently than he has any other league game perhaps this season or do you imagine us going with that you know two up front again or do you think he might change things up to be perhaps more on the front foot if you assume no injuries on Thursday and everyone's available that he would want to be available I don't really see him changing that changing it that much to be perfectly honest uh, you know, if we don't get anything out of that game, it just makes achieving third in the league. You know, every week that you're dropping points like that comes harder and harder. But I think he'll probably just look at it and say, "Well, it's not panic stations." If he, if, I guess, if he keeps playing that system, he obviously believes it's going, it's going to work. So I don't, I don't see him at this stage necessarily trying to do anything different. I feel we, he'll just go with what he's been going with. Yeah, I think so. I think the thing the thing that I almost didn't realize about Kilmarnock is I was under the impression they had a very impressive start to the season, which they did, in all fairness to them. But until um, that victory over Livingston uh, just this past weekend, they'd gone seven games without a victory. So it's fair to say they've not um, been able to sustain that level of form. So, you know, again, McInnes is a good manager, as far as I'm concerned, and he knows how to set up a team, and he'll make it very difficult. But... At the end of the day, you know, we've invested heavily in our side. We're going to be going down there with, you know, a significantly bigger um, wage budget on the pitch. For me, yeah, there's no reason why we can't be going down here and getting the three points here and coming back. And then, yeah, it just gets our league our league campaign back up and running because we were such disappointment with the performance against St. Johnston. We've just not been able to get things, get things moving this season in the league. Oh, we need to put a bit of a run together I'm sure if Gary was here obviously he's written down it's a tough place to go and like every game is difficult but if you're taking the view that if you're saying you know oh, a draw is alright Kelly's a tough place to go and then it's living so you know there's always a reason why it's tough to go to and a point might be okay but I just don't really think that just, I don't think that cuts it most anyone that we're competing with is probably likely to be taking points off of them home and away so I think we're just going to get left behind if we don't start picking up victories on the road against basically anyone out with the gruesome twosome. You can accept maybe dropping points, hearts and hips you'd expect to be competing with from the from the point of view that I'd expect them to drop points when they play us. So it maybe kind of balances out. But it's games like this that if we're not getting the points soonish and going on a bit of a run, it's just going to make it really, really difficult to finish what I would say the aim must be, which is to finish third and trying. I don't think that necessarily gets you into European football the way it did this season, but you'd want to be back into that third spot and have a crack at uh, you know a qualifying round or one less qualifying round, for example, uh, to try and get some, some football again. So I just think it's really, really important that we find a way of getting the win. And if it's gruesome to watch, 
but we get three points, well, so be it. We feel like we need to find a bit of a, we need to go on a bit of a run and maybe try and put some results together before we can then try and have a think about what, if anything, can be done to make it a little easier on the eye. But we need to be getting the results first, is my my take. Yeah, I mean, and also it's interesting, just looking a little bit further ahead, after Kilmarnock, it's then Motherwell away, and then it's Celtic and Rangers in the league. So, you know, the importance of taking points against these teams anyway is is there when you consider yep. the fact that we're going to be going to Celtic Park and then we'll have Rangers at Pataudry. No, there's nothing necessarily to fear about Rangers at Pataudry, but, you know, anything can happen in these games, let's be honest. So yep. just vital that we can take the most... I mean, for me, it's vital to get six points out of the next few games to achieve our goals, and then we look forward to the League Cup semi-final with Hibs and then the remaining fixtures in the Europa League conference. Graham, what are we thinking? What's going to happen at Rugby Park? Uh, an unpleasant 1-0 Aberdeen. So there's going to be no Derek McInnes turning to the director's box with a sly get it right up you? No. No. Um, there's just going to be... can't really think of anyone that would annoy him. Actually, like I'm saying that, I don't have any gripes with McInnes. He doesn't... He doesn't he's yeah. never really done anything or said anything yeah. since he's departed that makes me think... Ah, an arsehole. So I don't actually have anything against them. Just nah, to, nah, to likewise. Point. Yeah, likewise. I know there's some that will be upset to hear that, but yeah, I've got, I've got, <laughs> he's, he's still the best manager I've ever known to be, be at Aberdeen by quite some distance. So I can't really speak that ill about the guy. Um, no, I'm kind of the same. So we just need the, the three points and let's just pick, let's pick Rubicic. Rubicic. Yes, it'd be good for him to get a goal. Yeah, I can see I can see that happening, you know. I and I think be... it might come down to corner set pieces and we've got a bit of height in the team now, so I feel like it might be that might be where the goal comes from. One thing I do hope we've been working on this past week or the past however long we've had since the players have been back to international duty is our long throw-ins because they are horrific. I hope we've been working on taking even longer to take our throw-ins because it's good that we let the opposition every single time <laughs> get back into their position. I mean, are we, I'd love to, you know, the PPDA, I don't know what the passes on the touchline before a throw-in. I don't know if that is a metric, <laughs> you know, like Ross County, the boy Baldwin, but you know, he runs oh, over, he takes Jesus. it. And it takes a bit of time for him to come over, but he runs over and he throws it. Whereas we almost like work it back down the line, if you know what I mean. It's just ah, oh, so stupid. You think we're in the ascendancy? It's like, come on, boys! Oh yeah, oh, all right, okay, that's thirty seconds gone, uh, and nobody's showing for it, and we're all marked up. Brilliant. And then we've thrown the ball over Rubicic's head, straight into the goalkeeper's <laughs> yes. arms, straight to the goalkeeper, or yeah, straight to the opposition in one way or another. <laughs> uh, it's um, really annoying. Uh, I've I've just got like flashbacks. I've just come to me from that game um, a good few years back now, when we were one 0 down. Anderson scored a nice, a really nice like flick around the corner, and then Lewis Ferguson scored the winner with a free kick. I can see something like that happening. I think Leighton Clarkson's going to make it one 0 to Aberdeen, and that'll be the end of that chapter. Fingers crossed. And then, well, we'll move on to what, like I said, Motherwell um, in the league the next week. And of course, there's no Kevin Van Veen, so we've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> it's going to be nice. I mean, it'll probably be some other jabroni wheeling away, having scored a goal, but it's going to be nice that it's not going to be him. 
there'll be that boy like Teo Bear that they signed or I think oh. I just saw I think Ollie Shaw's there now. Yeah, you're probably oh God, Bear will get like his second career goal ever because I think he scored maybe in the opening weekend. He's yeah, I think but yeah, it'll right. be him. It'll be him. I think you might well be right. Anyway, we'll deal with that when it comes. Yes. 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 On that bombshell. Yes, it's been a slightly shorter version of the show than usual. On account of the storm, there was no Dundee game. What can we do about it? But we thank you very much. And that will wrap up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever you can on your podcast player of choice. Join us next time for episode 131 as we will review our games with Pauk and Kilmarnock and look forward to a trip to Hamden as the Dons face Hibs in the League Cup semi-final. For some reason, Gareth not mentioned Motherwell. I'm checking that is happening. According to the BBC, it's happening anyway. Graham, do you see that? Um, yeah, I thought we had. I think it's maybe just because he's an idiot. That sounds familiar. Well, it's, we see, it's all that tenants he was drinking. <laughs> oh, yeah, what a baby. <laughs> the lady doth protest too much. I'm just going to say exactly. that. Exactly. We've got that Motherwell's midweek, Wednesday the 1st. Yes, we will, have, we will preview Motherwell in midweek and then we'll yes. head to our trip to Hamden as the Dons face Hibs in the League Cup semi final. We look forward to seeing you there. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.